here comes a new challenger. From 8-bit to 35mm, game pads to the silver screen, your favorite video game characters are on a quest to become movie icons. Can they unlock the achievement? Let's go for broke! It's time to press X to reload. I'll ask it how it feels. I'm fine. How are you? Excellent. It's a long time. Can you explain the removal of your user account on June 23rd, 1973? They must have told it he died. People sometimes make mistakes. Yes, they do. How can he talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed him. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play global thermonuclear war. Fine. <laughs> All right. Which side do you want? I'll be the Russians. <laughs> Please list primary targets. Who should we nuke first? Um, oh, let's see. How about Las Vegas? Las Vegas, great. What next? Seattle! Yeah! <laughs> Kill us. Hey everybody, welcome back to Press X to Reload, where we move ourselves to DEFCON 2 and prepare for the assault of video game adaptations. I am Nick Moore, joining with me are Wayne Brissett and Mark Athanas. Wayne! Good day everybody. And Mark. How's it going? It always depends on the movie, but I'm doing pretty well. We watched 1983's War Games, starring a very young Matthew Broderick. I think it's hmm. before Ferris Bueller, I think? Yeah, I think so, too. I think this is his first role, I think this it? might be, yeah, his first yeah. major role. I don't know that for sure. But. He somehow looks younger than Ferris Bueller, so... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Big time. <laughs> this film has a couple yeah. of firsts into it when we get to trivia and such, and I'll bring those up, but for those who aren't aware of it, War Games is one of the early video game-inspired films because it's the idea that computers and video games may accidentally trigger World War III during the height of the Cold War. Uh, so it sounds ludicrous, and then you watch the film, and it plays out believably enough, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary how believable it seems in the context yeah. of the film. We'll start with Mark. You said, how's your day going? How was your day going after watching the film? You know what? It's, uh, it's funny, because I remember this movie as a kid. And I remember thinking it was okay, but not loving it. Okay. I liked it way more now. And I don't know if that's just being older or an appreciation for like the nostalgia of the movie, like pay phones and 
the size of his computer and the, the <laughs> floppy disk, which looked like a VHS thing. It was just so it's a lot of nostalgia there. So I, I, I enjoyed the movie. I really liked it. Okay. Wayne, how about yourself? Uh, I mean, my thoughts reflect Mark's very similarly. Uh, I remember seeing this when I was a kid. It was the last time I saw it. And I remember being okay. And I think it was because maybe the, the content of what was happening, I didn't really give a care a crap about. And I think going into this again, I was worried that it, if I didn't care about it then, this probably won't hold up now. But like Mark, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was done really well. And uh, a lot of believable moments and scary moments. That's like, man, this could still happen. <laughs> right. But I like it. No, absolutely. And I would agree. I think it's a pretty solid film. And forget, you know, video game adaptation, that kind of stuff. Because really, it's just a video game in the sense of how the computer AI works. Correct. And the idea of video games there. But it's surprising when I think back on it. I remember it being a very fantastical film. It's not fantastical. It's pretty believable. Yeah. Yeah. At least, again, in the context of a Hollywood world, it scales up slowly but surely where people just... Nobody wants to move from their assigned belief of what they think will generate the right answer, and it just keeps yeah. spiraling towards a worse outcome. But mm-hmm. it's a really low-scale film when you think about it in terms of what happens. It's not mm-hmm. globe-trotting. You never really see anything outside of the small group of people that get tangled up with, with Matthew Broderick's character and the people at NORAD. It's not a massive cast, but the world implications of what's going on are massive. You're just seeing it on a small scale. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I will bring up, because I thought this was kind of neat when I was looking up some of the trivia of it. This movie apparently inspired Congress to create the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1984. <laughs> really? really? They showed four minutes of the movie War Games and outlined the problem fairly clearly. A House Committee report said War Games showed a realistic representation of the automatic dialing and access capabilities of the personal computer. So the stuff that he's doing with the computer later on scared Congress enough that they actually started to enact laws regarding it, which is pretty wild. That's crazy. Well, and you got to think back when computers were first really starting to come become mainstream, mm-hmm. nobody really knew about the power of hacking, right? Yeah. No. Nobody knew code and stuff like that. So those who did had all the power. But nobody knew you could do anything like that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think really holds up well in this, the idea of hacking. It's not Hugh Jackman sitting at a keyboard, clickety-clacking away (laughs) like a lunatic while the camera (laughs) spins around him. It's Matthew Broderick going, well, I've set up the computer to automatically dial every possible number, and it just needs time. Time. Or if we want to be able to crack this guy's code, we Mm -hmm. need to know more about the individual who created the program to figure out the most logical password for him. Mm-hmm. That's what a hacker does. They try and get your personal yeah. information to figure you out, or they yeah. use brute force yeah. with the computer working faster than a human can. Those are reasonable, yeah. realistic things. This is the best representation of hacking I've ever seen. I <laughs> yeah. I literally was was I was literally thinking about you, Nick, as I watched <laughs> the hacking scenes. Because <laughs> we we have brought up on this podcast the horrible job hollywood does oh my god in depicting hacking and i was like yeah he he set up a program and walked away yeah that's that's what you would go to went made a sandwich flirted with a girl you know right that's what you would go do and when that doesn't work when you need to know a password he goes to the library and tries to learn about the person they want to hack yeah Hacker goes to the library and looks at books and newspaper clippings to figure out the answer because it's knowing the person 
the best part is his hacking f- failed. He hacked the wrong place. He just didn't yes. realize it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. and that's the best part of this. The mm-hmm. culmination of assumptions and mistakes that slowly lead towards <laughs> potential World War devastation. Yes. Let's pull it back to the very beginning, because the opening scene in its context as it's happening, still confused the hell out of me until you know about it after the fact. Because mm-hmm. you have a couple of people roll up in a vehicle to what looks like a little cabin in the middle of nowhere, and then they go down an elevator with ridiculous tight security, and you realize, oh, it's a government facility. It's Michael Madsen. I was I blown away. <laughs> so yeah. that's what I was he getting at. so young. <laughs> He's oh, just one opening salvo of an artillery barrage of character actors and people you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First off, young Michael Madsen, to a point where the only reason I knew it was him is I recognized the way he speaks, so I knew it was Correct. him. Corinne had to look it up, because he doesn't look like Madsen yet, but he sounds like him. I, I think he did a little bit, because it wasn't until I said it that Christina was like, oh yeah, it is him. When you know, you can <laughs> see it, but before you know, you're questioning it, right? No, I, I knew right away. He stepped out of the car. Oh, wow. Like, I was like, oh, that's Michael Madsen. That's hilarious. I did not pick up on it that fast. But he's paired yeah. up with the the actor who plays the FBI director in The Rock, John Spencer, yeah. who goes on to be in The West Wing. Yeah. So you've got two yeah. pretty big character actors showing up as the two guys that are supposed to watch over the missile silo and wait for, basically, wait for the signal that it's time to launch the nukes as they're kind of manning the U.S. missile silo, waiting to see if the Russians do anything. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they get blips saying that Russia is making an, making a move. They're making an attack, and it's time for them to do their thing. They're being fed instructions, I guess, from the president, and it's time to you know turn the key and launch the nuke. And one of them gets cold feet, <laughs> and it escalates. I actually thought the scene was done really well, to be the honest. It's great. I, I, I just didn't know. It, what it's the got hell tension. It, you're waiting, to, like, what's going to happen? Know. What is going on here? And then, I don't know. I thought it was filmed really good. I thought they did a really good job of what, especially in that, like, it's the nostalgia piece, right? It's the 80s. It's the early 80s. It's the, like, the heart of the Cold War. Yeah. Where sure. every movie, Russia's a bad guy, right? Like, every movie, Russia's a bad guy. And, in this movie, I love the idea that, like, if he turns this key, because they can't confirm the order, it's like Shades of Hunt for Red October. We can't confirm yeah. the order. Um, sorry, not Hunt for Red October, Crimson Tide. Okay. Where it's like, yeah. can't confirm the order. So do you turn the key and risk starting World War Three or wiping out, you know, or I think the number is a couple thousand people. people I'm like, yeah. So I, I thought that scene was again it really brought me into the movie the surprising tension and then you find out it's it's all a war game it's it's a it's a scenario so this is why i was confused by it and it makes sense as soon as you know that but i'd forgotten about Mm -hmm. the scene so imagine you've never seen the film before you saw the trailer for it you get in and the movie's starting with nope nuclear war is happening this is a two-minute film because it's ramping up like (laughs) there's no going back from this the, yeah, the guy who won't the turn the key now has a gun pulled on him by Michael Madsen going, you will obey that order. You will turn that key. Like, all right, I, I guess everyone's dead. And then it just cuts. It just yeah. cuts to yeah. the, the people who are running the report. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a resolution immediately of that. You're like, all right, d- did it happen? Did he, did he launch the missile? Did he shoot like, him? Or did he shoot him? Mm-hmm. Did he what? shoot him? 
they cut away before any of that happens. So you're like, you don't know at that point that it's an exercise. It's another two minutes into the next scene before you have the the military admiral going on about, no, I trust my men. They're good men. And the, um, I can never remember the name of the, oh, Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman. Again, going to the character actors, Dabney Coleman, the bad guy from Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. <laughs> like, you have a film with, him with Michael Madsen with the guy who plays the principal in Back to the Future. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah, there's a lot of people. The guy who's the hotel manager in Ghostbusters, like there's too many character yeah. actors yeah. shoved into this movie. Half of them, you recognize them, but you can't even name the film from it. Like the guy who plays Matthew Broderick's dad, I've seen him in a dozen things, mm-hmm. but I don't know yeah, his don't name. Know. <laughs> like just yeah. all of them. Yeah, I don't know. I also decided that uh, there are two characters in this movie who... This is their backstory for another movie oh, where geez. this is Michael Madsen's backstory. This is what he was doing before he joined the Reservoir Dogs. That's why he's so <laughs> broken and twisted in Reservoir Dogs because he, he lives this through is this Mr. highly Blunt stressful history. war game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Mr. He almost Blunt. shot his partner. I'm down that. That's awesome. And then Ali Sheedy later on, like we see what she went through and it, it broke her. It turned her into a delinquent. So she was uh, a part of uh, the Breakfast Club. That's just what had to happen. So between Michael Madsen and Ali Sheedy, we have a full backstory for two characters in oh, movies geez. later down the road. Tarantino was probably a production assistant on this film. Yeah. <laughs> it had to be. <laughs> Watch but the credits. That entire tense opening leads to the unveiling of The Whopper. The computer AI that's going to be able to basically determine whether or not they can win a world war. It's supposed to be running computer simulations over and over of all the different variables that can exist, all the different factions they can ally with, all the maneuvers they can do to figure out the optimal solution if the U.S. has to go to a nuclear strike against Russia. And it can't fail. Some variation of that is said by Dabney Coleman's character. It can't fail. This thing doesn't make mistakes. It doesn't get cold feet like your soldier did who couldn't turn the key. This is the best way that we can sleep soundly at night. And I love (laughs) how little confidence the Admiral has in this thing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He does not trust this thing at all. (laughs) But I I appreciate it because... I don't know, man. Like, could you imagine? Um, like, it's 2022. We still don't have AI I would trust. No. To just, yeah, you know, it'll it'll be fine. It can have the launch codes to the nukes. And so, like, could you imagine in, like, 1980? Right. Someone telling you, oh, yeah, we just we just put a machine in control of our nukes. You'd be like, hell no. No. <laughs> I love how demeaning he crazy? sounds when he speaks about it. The military general or admiral, whatever he is, he's like, your silicone diode over there <laughs> isn't as good as any of yes. my men. All the tech terms. Yes. Silicone diode. It sounded yes. like an insult. It was amazing. Yeah. Of all the character actors in it, I really enjoy the military general. He's great every time he's on screen because he's <laughs> yes, just he exaggerated enough without going too yes. cartoonish. He's just a little outlandish. And he's petty. I appreciate when things are going wrong, the smile on his face oh, yeah. at times, because he's like, ha, I told you so. But he's not and saying, I told you so. It's weird to have a... But he a... also doesn't want it to be bad. No. <laughs> it's weird to have a film about the threat of nuclear war where the military general is the voice of reason in the room. 
Usually yeah. they're the bloodthirsty yeah. ones who want to go to war and it's time to press that button. I've been waiting my entire life to make my career with this. He's like, yeah. no, no, you're all idiots. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of refreshing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's again, yes. aside from his exaggerated accent at times, he feels fairly believable the way that he acts. He feels like a, a real flesh and blood character. I enjoy him living behind his mm-hmm. Tron level steel doors that they all live in. Cause just like Tron, the doors <laughs> are like a really 18. big door. I think it is the door from Tron <laughs> that they walk through to go yeah, into yeah. that facility. That was a big one. <laughs> it's a really big door. The interesting thing about all those characters is, is not one of them really wants to push a button, though. No, not one. They just disagree no matter all on the intentions how to do it. behind all of it. None of them want to push a button. <laughs> not even the general. No, not, nobody. Yeah, no, no one's a warmonger. Yeah, no. Yeah, the big conflict between them is: Would you rather trust people with all of their fallibility to protect us in terms of do we press the button or not? Or would you rather trust the cold logic of a computer? Right. Which one helps you sleep And that's the point of the beginning of the film, right? To yeah. show that when you need it, mm-hmm. a person can, you know, second guess themselves. They can get cold feet. Computers won't. As we learn throughout right. the course of this film, <laughs> computers don't get cold feet. Oh, boy. If Not anything, the computer is the warmonger. It yeah. wants to yeah, finish absolutely. the game. Computer. Absolutely. It's absolutely the warmonger. It's absolutely the warmonger. And then in terms of nostalgia, if we're going to talk about nostalgia, the very next scene where you get to meet Matthew Broderick, that arcade, if I can go back in time oh, and be that's the somewhere. Best part of the film. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just Pac-Man and Galaga and all these awesome like coin-operated machines. That's great. What breaks my heart is seeing that Galaga machine because I owned one. Oh. oh, yeah. My dad bought the Flash Gordon pinball machine and the Galaga machine mm-hmm. years and years ago. And some that I remember the tube broke on my Galaga machine, so we stored it at my dad's shop. And the bastards there thought it was garbage and threw it out. Instead no. of me fix it. Yeah. That sucks. That sucks. Uh, I was heartbroken. So seeing it every time on screen just makes me want to cry. <laughs> this movie's sad now. Yeah. This movie makes me sad yeah, now. Yeah. For I still you. have the Flash Gordon pinball machine. <laughs> Well, that's some consolation, I suppose. That's the Bally's. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, man. But we follow Matthew Broderick's character, and you know that he's, I don't know, a young, hip character because he understands video games and whatnot. And you get to see him in the environment with the the teacher. And I kind of like the teacher. (laughs) He's a dick in kind of a fun way. I like him, too. Yeah, we yeah. were watching that, and we were like, "Man, this would never fly today. Never fly purposely, now. Never purposely fly calling now. a kid out, showing the entire class he flunked his oh my assignment. god. Oh. Like we were like, Christina's a teacher. She's like, "Man, I'd be fired on the spot. Oh yeah, <laughs> and plastered yeah. all over CP twenty four. Seem to be paying attention. <laughs> just the well, perhaps that's why you got an F and holds it up. Like, yes. Wow. <laughs> but I liked that yeah. teacher. He was he was kind of entertaining and. The, uh, oh, yeah. what was the, the joke? I'm trying to remember the, the one that ends with your wife. <laughs> Asexual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the what species or. What's, what species? I think it's what's, no what species, uh, is capable of asexual reproduction or wants asexual reproduction. He's like, is it your wife? <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't, who doesn't want. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh my That's god. Your wife. So funny. But of course, that gets him kicked out, showing immediately Matthew Broderick's character is clever, but also stupidly impulsive and short-sighted. Really dislikes mm-hmm. authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's almost a feeling that 
he tries to instigate trouble so he can get to the principal's office because that's where he can find out the most recent password so that he can go in afterwards and change grades. Yeah. Yes. It's a matter of, is he opportunistic where he goes, well, if I'm going to be here, I may as well change that awful grade. Or is he thinking that far ahead where he's like, well, I've screwed myself. Only way out of trouble now is to piss off the teacher enough that I get sent to the principal's <laughs> office. So I can go change the grade. So you can change the grade. And again, great hacker moment. All it shows is he knows where they write down the password. He knows they change it, but they keep changing it on the same piece of paper hidden near the desk. And he just takes yeah. a peek at it every time he gets sent to the principal's office. That's real hacking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of great. And then, as you said, when we get to see his computer set up, old technology is amazing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> his computer takes up half his room. Yeah. Did you see the size of that floppy disk? Oh my god! The, the size of the disc floppy disk is my it's bigger than my laptop. Part. It's the best. It's about the size of a mouse pad. I think it was bigger, man. And again, for you bigger. listener, if you are younger than us, if you're younger than us, old old men, a floppy disk is a hard physical disk that you would stick in your computer. So we're talking before CDs and DVDs, a big piece of plastic, and it is massive. It's the size of a piece of paper, but this big, thick thing of it that you just shove into the computer and it holds what? How much information? Nothing. One bite. (laughs) One bite. (laughs) Probably. So if I'm going to nitpick one thing technology wise that was driving me mental in this is the fact that it seems every single software in the world is the same software and universally compatible. Because from his computer, he hacks into Pan Am Airlines, hacks into his school, accidentally hacks into not just NORAD, but the secret AI computer that controls the World War III simulations. (laughs) And they all are the same thing. Black background, green text. That's it. No graphics, and it's all just type what you need, and it'll come up. I got to be honest, my memory of computers back in the 80s, I believed it. I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My knowledge <laughs> like of computers how, was how like, com- yeah, how complex could they be? I'm like, how can he type? Yeah. I always got to write press play on tape, comma eight, comma one. I can't yeah. get backslash slash commands to work continuously on Steam with a multiplayer game where it's the same game in the same platform and get it to work all the time you end up troubleshooting <laughs> yeah, right. for 40 minutes because the computers <laughs> are mildly so different and he's just bypassing but, all of that <laughs> no but hold on so true hold on that's because computers are all different like they're all so advanced they're different back then they were all so simple they probably were all the same i mean you might have something there yeah they might have all been really really similar yeah like the first car <laughs> there weren't like bells and whistles on the first car. It was the first car. It went from point A to point B. It wasn't like it had AC and like safety might not even got and airbags. To point B. <laughs> it might not even got to point B. You didn't put enough whatever in it. Enough so whatever. Like, oh, it over- <laughs> My car is yeah. fueled by whatever. My rule machine. by whatever. Gas, water, it. hope and a prayer. It was crankstar. Yeah, well, it's either way, these things, yeah. and of course, how they hype up computers in this, the computer that he's gunning for, the main thing that really pushes this plot forward, he wants this mm. new game or new computer with new games on it. Either way, the ProtoVision, whatever this new type of computer is, 
the ad for the it. The best part of that is so intense. The advertising, it's the <laughs> advertising for it because it yeah. the advertising for it makes it sound like you could get a computer and this computer it can play games. <laughs> like it sounds like it's this revolutionary. This computer can play but games. The picture like, it's so of this good. computer in a dark room, and the entire family is looking <laughs> at this thing like Rapture itself is on the screen, <laughs> like a which mix is of been, very reflective of, of game ads from back in the day. That's it was always like people blown away, totally. right? Family, it's all family staring at the screen. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. It. it made me want to get one. I have no mm-hmm. idea if it'd be better than the the current rig that I have, but who knows? My current one probably can't get into NORAD's AI computer, so maybe it is better. Yeah. But you at that point find out some of the the ways that he uses his computer power to know that he's not he's not bad. He's our protagonist. He's a good guy, I suppose, but he's not a good guy. Like he just goes in and changes his grades <laughs> on a regular basis. Though I will respect he doesn't change them to something that is unbelievable. He goes, I'm going to take my D and make it a B. I'm not going to shoot yeah. the star and give myself A's. I'm, I'm just going to tweak it enough Which that I can Which might be enough it. to make the teacher question, did I give him a B instead of a C? Well, it also shows <laughs> the teachers clearly aren't paying any real attention if all of a sudden you humiliated this kid in class over his grade and he gets his report card and it's suddenly three grades higher than you gave him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But... I want to take one side note only because it's so jarring. It took me out of the film because I've seen it and it still grosses me out. When you see Matthew Broderick goes to his house, he runs past his parents and his dad is sitting at the table having corn on the cob. Oh, man. What? Uncooked? The yeah. good God. Not even that. Un- it's the buttering. Cooked. The buttering first. Oh, and the that was second. interesting. Oh, the, the butter. The butter, the bread. Because at first, we were like, oh, he's putting so much so butter on the bread. Chris so never seen this before. I grew up in a country family. I've got aunts and uncles that would do this when I'd be at a family function. For you, dear <laughs> listener at home, who does not know, they would take a piece of white bread put an absurd amount of butter on it and then just wrap it around the corn of the cob and basically just jack the thing off with it. Yeah, spin the cob in that <laughs> bread. And then yeah. eat the corn of the cob so, and you know they're going to eat that bread afterwards, which is gross. <laughs> I have never in my life seen that. Neither had Corinne. And I forgot about it in this movie. And when I saw it again, I was just like, Oh my god, that guy's gonna have a heart attack right at the table. It's awful. And then I saw what he did with the corn, and I was like, <laughs> is that ingenious or disgusting? And then I had the same thought you had. I'm like, oh my and god, he's got corn on top of flavored oh, that's butter the best. bread. When he goes and to the cook it. it. <laughs> and his wife's like, Oh yeah, it's uncooked. This way Ugh. it doesn't lose any of the nutrients. Oh. I've never tried to bite into an uncooked cob of corn. I can't even no. imagine how rough that is. Yeah. Oh. But that's, that's insane. horrific. That whole scene yeah. made me more nauseous than anything else in the film. <laughs> that's funny. Yes. It ain't right. So I just I had to bring that up. It's just it's it's not right. Oh, very gross. But he meets the girl in the class. He brings her up so he can show her what he's doing in his room with the whole changing the grades. And she flip-flops because when she's first there and Mm. he offers, I can change your grade, she doesn't just refuse. She gets morally indignant over this. 
She gets mad at him and storms out. And she's back the very next day. (laughs) (laughs) To say, do what you were going to do. To say, change those grades. Now, I do love, from his perspective, he was going to change her, what was it, her D to a B as well. She gets mad, forces him to change it back. And as soon as she leaves, I don't know what possesses him to do it. But he's like, ah, you know what? No, no, no. It's not D. Now it's an A. (laughs) (laughs) And again, is it so that she'll get caught? Is he doing it so that she'll get in trouble? Maybe. I don't know. I can't get a read on half of his actions. I just kept looking at his character like... He's not a dumb teenager, but is like he's yeah, he, he does some intelligent things throughout the course of the show. But to your point, he's a he's a dumb, impulsive teenager. And she's a bit of a like stereotypical dumb, impulsive teenager, too. Like, no, don't change my grade. No, change my grade. Oh, you know, I just got on a plane and flew to Colorado to be with you. What? Oh, I know. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, either he's we'll dumb and that, impulsive but. or he's a sociopath. And if I have to base this from his later <laughs> films, like Ferris Bueller, he is a sociopath. Maybe yes. Matthew Broderick plays bad guys and we never noticed because he's so yeah. likable. See, that's the other character in this movie. What happens is after, you know, he's involved in saving the world, he oh relocates, gets a new family, changes his name, becomes Ferris Bueller, which is why he's so indifferent. Because he knows he could just change his grades later. Wayne leaves the chat. You say we think about this too hard. I think you've broken. No, it's funny. I didn't even think that hard about it, which is why it's funny. It's just such a smooth fit. (laughs) Well, either way, while he's trying to impress her and show off the other stuff he can do, this is where he gets into trouble. Because things that you don't even think are a big deal. First, hey, where would you want to go if we could go anywhere? Look at me hacking to Pan Am. I'm not buying tickets, though. I'm just reserving them. So don't worry. We can't get in trouble. And you feel like at this point he should turn to the audience and go, pay attention to this plot point because it's going to bite me in the ass later. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't pick up on how it was going to screw him later, but it sure does. Mm -hmm. Which is funny. I agree that I I didn't think it'd bite him in the ass, but I still was like, oh... You're messing with the FAA. That that ain't cool. No, it, like, that still seems like a big no-no. Like I, it makes you wonder <laughs> what other stuff the he's done. Like what other stuff has he tried his hand at? Where this is what he's doing yeah. just to impress her, right? Yeah, yeah. And then because he knew he could game. do that. Yes, he knew yeah. that wasn't. A, I wonder if that was watch what I can no, do. He's done it. Yeah. It's watch what I can do. Yes, he's done Whereas, this all before. I wonder if I can do it. Is him trying to get the game program, mm-hmm. which he eventually yes. gets it, but he can't access it and it doesn't make sense to him. So he has to go to his even nerdier friends to get help on hacking. <laughs> and yes. if we're going to talk about stereotypes that don't exist, oh, yeah. Proto yeah. Sheldon yes. that is in this, his skinny friend. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He is unreal. Well, I thought that guy was a computer. He was, he was hilarious, but in the worst Nerds. way. Yeah. And, and again, they're entertaining, don't be wrong, but I love when his, I don't know, slightly less uncool friend turns to the proto-Sheldon and he's like, remember when I told you I'd let you know the next time that you're being a problem and being inappropriate in public? Yeah. Okay, well, you're doing it right now. Go go walk over that way. Yes. But they were kind of fun. To which he goes a hold of one foot away. <laughs> right. Oh, 
Did you guys catch the Empire Strikes Back reference that happens in this movie? Broderick's bad Vader impression. Oh, no. When he's on the computer and he's doing the hacking, at one point, in a bad Vader, he goes, I have you now. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God, he's Vader. Maybe I did. Oh, no, I totally... Or catch that. I, I, and it I makes heard sense, it register. Because I think it's what, 81, 82, Empire comes out? This is 83. Mm. So it feels like at the mm. time, you would have picked up on that. Yeah, Empire was 80. Yeah. 80. There you go. I, yeah. I was close. Whatever. 83 was Jedi. Oh, all right. Well, fair enough. Either way, I have you now. <laughs> he has no James Earl Jones. <laughs> no. But... Talking to them is where he realizes the when they're trying to explain to him what that program is and that it might be something slightly more important than those games, he's determined to hack into it and goes to the library. Mm-hmm. Corinne was very happy for the library montage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, this is before Google. He had no choice. I know. When he's going through the, the cards to find the book, I'm, me and Christina look at each other like, kids today have no idea oh, what's going on in this right. scene. Yeah, like you had to go to a place. You don't know your Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't know your, if you don't know how to work a library, like you couldn't find a thing. But he clearly does. You'd have to find a librarian who could tell you what to do. Yeah, he's a skilled hacker. He was able to sort all that Mm -hmm. stuff out. Yeah, and then they find out about Falcon or Falcon. That's his name, isn't it? Yeah, Tolkien, Falcon. Either way. Yeah. The the programmer that created the AI system. And this hit really hard. When they find out that he's dead, spoiler for the audience, no, he's not. He's in hiding. But they read the article saying that he was dead. And <laughs> Matthew Broderick's like, well, he was pretty old. He was 41. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. We looked at each oh, other and we're like, he? oh, he was like 40, that- 41. So that, that cut me to my core. He was oh, pretty yeah. old. Oh, he was forty-one. Was pretty, Excuse pretty me. Old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but, I'm looking at him, going, "He's forty-one. He still has his hair. This sucks." <laughs> but again, I loved it because, like, when you were a stupid teenager, you yeah. thought forty was old. Yeah, yeah. They did. They still do. <sighs> yeah. Damn teenagers. <laughs> Damn teenagers. But he figures out that the password is going to be the name of the the scientist's dead kid, his son. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Joshua, that gets him in the, the back door Joshua. of this program so that he can get in. And I love how they try and explain some of the, the tech science behind it so you can get away with it. Because it would be very boring if the computer is just talking to him through text. So the idea that he set mm-hmm. up a machine that will translate that text into a robotic voice to talk to him so the audience can have the fun of hearing, would you like to yeah. play a game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm down with that. It's fine. It works just yeah, well enough. It works for the film. It really does. And it's smart for the film, but if, again, if you got to you put your nostalgia hat back on, like back in the day, in the 80s, you, you would have been blown, you would have been as blown away as Ali Sheedy's character being like, oh, yeah. <gasps> yeah. he's got a voice, your computer can talk. It's like, no, I yeah. can't talk. It may as well be alive, but like, yeah, like it's just, it's so like the nostalgia of that stuff. I was, I kept going back to that and be like, yeah, man, if you're in the eighties, you went over to your buddy's house and his computer talked, your mind would have exploded. (laughs) Absolutely. And one of the, I forgot about this, but we talk about no one really wants to be warmongering. If you think about it, even the computer doesn't want to be. 
Because the first time that he joins up with it and it mistakes him for the doctor or the the scientist, whatever his name is, uh, Mm -hmm. Falcon there, it's like, oh, how are you, doctor? You know, it's been a long time since I've spoken to you. Would you like to play a nice game of chess? Mm -hmm. And then he goes, no, no, no. I really want to play this, you know, military global (laughs) thermonuclear war. It's like, like, are you sure? (laughs) Chess sounds like it'd be really relaxing right now. It's like, no, no, no. I want to play global thermonuclear war. And it goes, fine. And starts up that game. (laughs) It seems reluctant. (laughs) And the funny thing is, it feels like it, it feels almost like it understands its own parameters. When the game is started, it can't be stopped. So let's play a Mm -hmm. nice, simple game like chess. Yeah. Because it seems to it seems to almost understand the second you put us on this path, we're going down it all the way to the end of the line, <laughs> and it's going to be a bad ride. Which is to the end of the line. But I love being that dumb teenager. He doesn't get it and just goes, "Oh wow, this is a neat game. Who are we going to be? U.S. or Russia? Let's be Russia. That's amazing." <laughs> and <laughs> it's great when you watch it play out because he's sitting there with his newfound girlfriend. And they're talking about what they're going to do on each of their their respective turns for Russia. And they're not taking it seriously. So they're doing ridiculous nonsense. Like, where are we going to send a strike to? Ah, let's let's nuke Nevada. Vegas should go. That and sounds Seattle. like a great idea. And Seattle. Yeah. And Seattle. So when the computer actually starts treating it like this over at NORAD and lights up on their screen as if Russia has armed its nukes and has targeted Las Vegas and Seattle... Nobody knows what to make of that. Yeah. As far as they know, it really is happening. But yeah. Even the admiral in the room is like, well, there's no strategic value in this. What are they doing? <laughs> we can talk about it now, but there's a scene that comes later on that um, it's the only dumb thing around this whole scenario that I was like, oh, I wish they didn't show me that. Because if, if you can see that, why don't you understand what that means? You're an idiot. They show a scene when Broderick's in this little holding pen, so we can talk about it later, but there's a woman who's walking around the machine, recording all the information on the machine, and the camera pans to a screen that is on the machine that literally says, like, the countdown of the war game. So you don't know what that screen means. You're recording it. Like she wasn't like, Oh, that's weird. It says war games going on. Uh, we'll conclude in whatever. Oh, well <laughs> back to DEFCON four. <laughs> you almost get the impression that outside of the scientist who created the program and maybe Dabney Coleman's character, maybe with a big question mark, nobody seems to understand how that program works at all. And even he has absolute faith yeah. in it, but doesn't seem to understand it. No. He's just blindly following, it was really cool technology and it'll work for us. (laughs) But that's what's so weird about that scene. It's the only scene that breaks it for me because then what's her job? She's literally doing a 360 walk around of the machine. So I'm like, that's weird. So my counterpoint to that. So it's so convincing. My counterpoint, Hmm. she's dumb. And my proof of that, (laughs) hear me out. My proof of that is when she takes... Dabney Coleman's gum and just eats it. She takes the gum out of his mouth and just throws it in hers like a gorilla sharing food. She's dumb. And maybe that scene was meant to prove that she was dumb. I initially took that scene as they are definitely sleeping together. She took that gum <laughs> well, out of his mouth, took it. threw it right into his, yeah. her mouth with no hesitation. You don't share no gum hesitation. with someone unless you are 
doing way more than chewing and sucking that. Yeah. But maybe she's just dumb. Maybe I was reading it wrong. Maybe she's just an idiot and not, I don't know, doing weird stuff with the guy from 9 to 5. I mean, he tried it on Dolly Parton and it didn't work. Maybe it worked with this woman. Uh-huh. Maybe that's See, that's his pre story. Because you see, once so he got many fired, characters left this to go into other stories. I tell you, when he got fired from this job, he had to go work at a at a local wherever, and he had to mess with Dolly Parton, and then you know that's how you got that movie. We're starting All the Matthew Broderick War Game Cinematic Universe. <laughs> deep backstory, deep. It's not even an alternate timeline. It's the existing one, but after these these events, they're so critical to the the safety and security of. <laughs> of the american uh oh god military complex that they just gave them all new identities well this so is now- the major midpoint of the film where after accidentally starting up this program where now it's showing hostility from russia that is fake it doesn't take the government long to figure out who is messing with the computers mm-hmm. and i love the stupid teenagers of matthew broderick and uh and the girl there going oh maybe if we just don't say anything they won't notice us if we just yes. lie low. Yes. And then he's, what, at a 7-Eleven, they just swing up in a van and yeah. just whisk Take him it. away. Straight up abduct him. Yeah, it's a straight abduction. Great. <laughs> yeah, the government just flat out makes him disappear. And of mm-hmm. all the places, rather than taking him to any sort of a holding cell or interrogation, they take him directly to NORAD. So you're worried that this guy, because the government doesn't think he's just a dumb kid. They think he's a Soviet spy living in America under an assumed identity. Yes. And that he's tried to destabilize America by helping the Russians with this nuclear attack. And they take him to NORAD where all of their defense stuff is. And they don't put much of a hold on him. He seems to be able to walk around freely. It's ridiculous. First, they put him in well, the pharmacy or the clinic. Or, yeah. Yes, the infirmary. Like that's their holding cell as a clinic. And then he says, I still think he's a part of this, so I'm going to put him in my office alone with a computer my that office. he can log into. Right. Alone with a computer. Yes. <laughs> yes. I And he knows he's a hacker. He knows he's a hacker because he's there because he hacked you. It's just the best. But that entire scene, other than, again, showing more of what's going on with the, the NORAD team, it does show, again, how clever Matthew Broderick's character is. When yes. they throw him back into the infirmary, lock him in there mm-hmm. with an electronic mm-hmm. door lock and go, yeah, you're not coming back out. He MacGyvers his way out in less than five minutes, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, It's it's smart. It's really smart. I really liked it. I love the idea of he gets the guy who's watching him to open the door up, going, oh, you know, I have to pee, let me out, knowing that this guy will not let him out but so that he can record the sound of the buttons being pressed on the door and then play that back because the door is just working off of tones like a phone. (laughs) And the second Mm -hmm. he hears that tone, he's able to open the door from the inside, but then rigs a bunch of stuff up on it so that he can short it out when they go in there to look for him and lock the door. That's some really cool stuff. It shows that, again, he's clever, right? Yes, impulsive but clever. And then he starts climbing through human-sized ventilation systems because that's what hollywood has i've never encountered a <laughs> ventilation system that large ever and now you know why everywhere now now you know why this movie probably changed that for everyone they revamped congress, every building because they want to make sure it's not matthew broderick accessible if the u.s congress had to write laws i'm sure 
a proviso in one of those laws is yeah. rat size ventilation. No more human size ventilation. All that shit was removed out of NORAD. How small do we got to make it? Too small for Matthew Broderick. That small, huh? <laughs> that small, huh? Yeah. How old oh, we breathe, sir? But <laughs> push the red, big red button, sir. But I love how even at that point, he doesn't seem to understand the trouble he's in. When they've got him in the interrogation room, he's like, is this because I changed my grade? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, he still doesn't Norad realize maybe that game was not a game, you idiot. <laughs> but he manages to get out by getting together with the tour group of NORAD. Like, they're in the middle of a possible world war. That's what like, I laughed at, too. I'm like... Uh, yes. Nukes have been fired, according to them, by Russia. But there's a tour, a tour group. Of the yes. But there's a tour group. But you just skipped the the uh, the airplane thing. How much trouble it got him in, and why it makes them oh, yes. it believable oh, yeah. to them. When they start rhyming off, well, we think you're a spy. Why? Well, you hacked into our system. You bought tickets for you and your accomplice to take off to Paris, France. Yeah. Is that where the Soviets yeah. are going to pick you up? He's like, no, 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 no. That was that was just a joke. I didn't mean to buy tickets. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it paints a bad picture for him. Yep, it paints a bad picture, and it, it it's one of those things where you have to paint again. Some, that's what I enjoyed about this movie. It was smarter than I remember it being because yeah. you've got to paint a picture for why the government would think this idiot kid can hack in, and he's like, oh, it's because he's got help. They yeah. think he's not yeah. working alone, so that they can dismiss anything stupid he does can be dismissed because it's like, well, he's not the mastermind. Right. Yeah. They really? think he's got the Russians backing him and they think his girlfriend exactly. Jennifer is also a Russian agent. Yes. Despite the fact that they have parents who they don't suspect of being Russian agents. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Parker is not either. a Soviet spy. I'd notice. <laughs> Aliana might be. <laughs> Aliana could be. She could be. She totally could be. Ah, <sighs> she'd get me. But that's okay. Either way, he busts out by sneaking into the tour group and just waltzing out as they lock things down, which if they're locking things down because he's escaped that room, why do they still let the tour group leave? Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's I great. <laughs> Tour's over. You guys got to go. Not will you stay here till we know where the spy is. <laughs> nope. Again, look at all the policies they changed after this movie. <laughs> Security was really lax in 1983, I gotta tell you. So trusting. Just so trusting. This is way before 9-11. sizes have definitely been smaller now. (laughs) Yeah. They created laws around hacking, shrunk their fence sizes. But as you said earlier, Matthew Broderick, now out, does that neat phone booth trick where he's able to, like, Mm -hmm. take apart the receiver and use... What was it like a pop Metal. can tab on the ground yeah. and be able pop to like, can tab, yeah. trick the phone into thinking it received a quarter so he can make a phone call? Yeah. And he yeah. calls up his girlfriend and she just comes out to Colorado. Yeah. Yep. Like what? I don't know how she could afford. I know like flying in the States is cheap. So uh, sure. I, I think it must have been like $10. transfer money, didn't he? Right. She's like, can how? you transfer me money? And she goes, no, no, I'm going to come to you. And yeah, even if she has the money, she's money. a teenager and had no problems flying on her own. No questions, no where's your guardian saying that it's okay. She just yeah, maybe her up. family's rich. We didn't really see much of her family. No, we don't yeah. see her family at all. She's just always aerobicizing. I don't really know what her deal is. <laughs> she's going to be on that show. That's why. Oh, right. 
Either way, <laughs> they're teamed up and they figure out where Falcon is after, again, some clever kind of detective work. He's not stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. No. And then the low point of the film, and I don't mean from quality, but from like the wizard level sadness when you meet Dr. <laughs> Falcon. <laughs> He yeah, is yeah. such a nihilist, but he's almost a nihilist in a cheerful, what does it matter way? When yeah, he's, like, when they tell him, Let the bombs hit. Well, yeah, when they tell him the AI has gone out of control and it really thinks there's a war happening and the bombs are going to happen. He's like, hey, I want to show you a, a film. It's really exciting. Follow me. And shows them like a stop mm-hmm. motion of the dinosaurs dying. And he's like, ah, nature knows when to give up. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nature yeah. knows when to give up. Wow. Yeah. Like, wild. <laughs> Just wild. He is incredibly nihilistic. And again, the reason behind it, I get. He's incredibly sad because his son has died. And his son was young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I think the son was, what, eight or nine or something? Like, he wasn't yeah. if anywhere he really having young. a full life. And it just yeah, devastated it really this young. guy. It broke him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was well, his wife and son, wasn't it? Yes, uh, I want to yeah. say lost his whole family. So yeah, probably, family. Family. if I'm going to guess, Bucky killed them. If I'm going to guess, yeah. I, government's behind it, man. I'm telling Don't you, don't give the Mark more there, for backgrounds, <laughs> dude. The Winter Soldier would have been active in the '80s. You're so right. It's all tied in. This is an MCU movie. It's all connected. Matthew Broderick better this would have been a scientist. It all starts here. This was a scientist creating AI. It all starts with Whopper. Creating AI for the US. They need to have an Avengers film called Avengers War Games, and Matthew Broderick is the villain. <laughs> yes. The first Whopper. <laughs> because he would be old, but he's paying them back for the time like Zemo when oh, man. all these horrible things derailed his life, and he, <laughs> he lost his girlfriend and his best friend destroyed his dad's Corvette. When he skipped school, when he was trained, this is your fault, Nick. And he became a, a delinquent. <laughs> one of us, one of us. Mark is joining <laughs> us now. It's great. The overthinking has happened. Ah, oh, the thinking. It's happened to you too. The thinking. <laughs> but I do like that as soon as Matthew Broderick uh, and Ali Sheedy, as soon as that teenage couple realizes why the guy has become just so thoroughly bleak on his outlook, they call him out on his back. Yeah. I like that. So, well, look, what happened to you is sad, but you can't condemn the entire world when you have the power to save it. And if you won't, us stupid teenagers will go out and try. Yeah. Yeah. And I do enjoy that they run off and they get, they get out of the island and they hang out for a bit and think about, well, like, how are we going to get off of here? We can't swim away. We don't have any kind of means. And as soon as the helicopter shows up, (laughs) They both have the thought of that jerk scientist called the police on us. Yeah. Not only did he not help, he's actively impeding us. But to go back to the stupid teenagers, she actually does suggest to swim. She does. And then he says, it's going to be a I few can't. miles. No, no. Well, no, even before that, <laughs> she, yeah. he says it's at least a few miles. She continues to say, I think we can make it. He sits <laughs> on the rock and says, no. When he says no, that's when you realize how cold it is outside because you can see his breath. Yes. <laughs> she was willing to swim <laughs> swim in cold enough Freezing. weather that you could see your breath miles. It's like they would have been dead yeah, like she five minutes would have died. <laughs> and he can't swim. Well, so but he, he would have watched he, her die. Oh, yeah. He can't so swim. Just, she would have died. Yeah. Like what would have happened if he was able to swim? He might have been like, okay. 
Uh, movie would have been over sooner with a higher body it would count. Have been yes. Five more minutes after that. <laughs> yeah. But I do like after the three minute long helicopter chase where they're just just running in circles like idiots (laughs) while the spotlight is coming down on them. The helicopter's not the police. It's the scientist who called in the military to help him out (laughs) and to fly them off to to NORAD to try and save the day. But they ran away like idiots for three minutes as he's trying to land on an island that they can't go anywhere. (laughs) Yes. Where were they going to go? They might as well just been like, while well, they caught us. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. But it leads into one of the most baffling moments, both in film and out of film, when you Crash transition the gate. from them. Yes. When you transition <laughs> from so they're on a helicopter so to weird. they're in a Jeep with a, a, a military soldier flying towards NORAD, who's decided it's time to close. We've been slowly going from DEFCON 4 to 3 to 2. Like, we're ready to launch. DEFCON 1's going to happen. When the gate is closing, and they're like, we're not going to make it. And the soldier behind the wheel's like, we're going to make it. And rams through the broken gate. That's That was okay. <laughs> One, wh- why can't he just call ahead and go, guys, I, I have someone here. Instead of, like, they had a helicopter ride, they had a jeep ride, they have phones, even if they're pay phones. There was an opportunity to call ahead, but they don't. Fine. But in real life, did you know if they did not mean to flip that jeep? Oh, I did not know that. That's a real accident, apparently. And then they just kept the take of it flipping and filmed them getting well, out of it. Because he goes to the gate, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then it's like he just keeps going into a pole. Yes. <laughs> I was like, like what why the hell? Did, why does he crash it? It's because Credits they lost start control rolling. of it and it crashed. So that's a real flip of the Jeep. That's and then they scary, decided wow. they can't do it again. So we're just going to have the yeah. overturned Jeep and get the actors to climb out of it. Man. So I well, sincerely they couldn't do it again they, hope the stunt you, team was okay. I was going to say, I don't think they were. That's why they couldn't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> reset like, and shoot it again. <laughs> that hit was hard. Yes. That was hard, well, dude. I remember watching it going, man, that's it's unnecessary, but that's a really good crash. I thought <laughs> it is. That's really it's good. So Why did they bother? It makes no it's sense, real. but it's damn that does ever look good. It is a great, great shot. Great shot. <laughs> that's perfect. Oh, Print it. Oh my god. Yeah. And they managed to just in time. Well, and what kills me is it does look like they phoned ahead because as they're running in to get to the Tron door and get in there. The yes, one people girl, are letting them in. The gun, the gum chewer girl is like, come on, come on, you're almost out of time. Yes, Why not yeah. stop at the door from closing? <laughs> and so, again, why it's dumb. So they know you're coming? Yeah, great. Why did you get out of the helicopter? Right. That seems like it yeah. would have been they know the you're coming, faster just way to on over. It's there. faster than the Jeep. Yeah, just, you wouldn't have to crash. <laughs> and it's a helicopter. Unless they crashed the helicopter and we didn't see that. <laughs> this guy can't pilot Jeep. squat. That's how they got the Jeep. Little do you know, this is the father of Vin Diesel's dad from the Fast and the Furious series. <laughs> but it's all been leading to this moment. They get in there, and all they really have is the one main computer to try and talk to the Whopper, the system. They have that one mm-hmm. terminal. And all right, and Matthew Broderick, is completely come surreal. on over and figure this out. And I like the idea of trying to teach the computer that no one can possibly win a nuclear scenario. 
and how he manages to do it. Instead of playing that game, because he tries to quit that game, it won't let him. No, no, that game has to finish. But you can interrupt that game with another game. And when he first pulled up the, the list of available games, you had all of these things on there, like, you know, Solitaire and Backgammon and all this nonsense Blackjack, that's there. Poker. But earlier mm. on, they talk about the game Tic-Tac-Toe. And the scientist talks mm. about Tic-Tac-Toe is the perfect representation of a game you cannot win. Mm-hmm. So long as you understand the rules, the game will play out the same way every time. It's impossible to win if both people know how to play. There's no winners in that game. And that's true. Mm. If you know I how agree. to play it, you can't win. That's yeah. why that game sucks the second you're old enough to understand. You just move on and play other you know, stuff. That's why you don't play it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that game's not on the list. Of all the available games, it's not there. And Broderick realizes the scientist put that in there. Because as soon as he looks over, the scientist gives him this knowing smile like, this is our only way out of this as the countdown goes. They both know the answer. It's not just a matter of Broderick being clever and figuring it out. Mm -hmm. It's getting the scientist to basically have a change of heart and help him out there. And he puts that game in. And I love the idea that as soon as the computer plays it once and it ends up being a tie he's like how do i get it to play itself it'll be faster than us doing this we're running out of time set the players to zero and the computer now understanding the rules plays what thousands of representations of it on the screen over and over and just can't make it work and then that moment that the computer switches back to global thermonuclear war but with the understanding of how tic-tac-toe works and every single time that it plays out Everyone on Earth is obliterated, mm-hmm. and it, and I like how it scrolls through who starts the war. So it goes through like yes. every country. Yes, if this country starts it, yeah. if this country starts it, if this country starts it, and it's actually a really good message. By the end of it, it's like it doesn't matter who starts nuclear war, mm-hmm. nobody wins. Well, what was really cool, not just who starts it, but the number of parameters it's listing. So like whether or not the U.S. allies with Iraq, whether or not China invades yeah. mm-hmm. first, whether or not this accord is enacted, whether or not that pact is enacted. Yeah. It's having all these different things. And beside every one of them, it's just same result. Same result. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of them yeah. is still total annihilation. Yeah, and total. it's a tense moment for everyone in the room because it's not the whole the heroes, you know, staring at two wires of a bomb and which one do you cut? They've done everything they can. They've enacted yes. this. It's. Will the computer realize it fast enough as it's counting down? Because yes. Russia has now realized that America's system has gone active and they're going mm. to retaliate for real now if people don't stand down. <laughs> it's yeah. tense. It's really well yeah. handled. It was well handled. It's a well done. It's, it's well done. And it has one of really the best it. resolutions in terms of a quote when the whole thing basically stops, shuts down. And it just comes back to the computer and it goes, a strange game. The only winning move is not to play. How about a nice game of chess? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a great line. It's like it changes it back from murder bot to friendly (laughs) Joshua bot again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quote. The only winning move is not to play. That's freaking awesome. It's a great line. I I love it. And then the movie just kind of ends in NORAD like, yeah. there's no yeah. Yeah. no follow up is there any repercussions for How this kid do we put him under house arrest <laughs> Like, does the kid have a job no. at NORAD does after? he join <laughs> NORAD the, the guy who no. trusted in the Whopper implicitly is he fired well, he doesn't he join NORAD hook? he goes off to become does he chew more gum for the secretary girl yeah. Like, I don't know what happens you guys 
You do know what happens. Yes, we do know we what happens. This all the movies that Mark he becomes Ferris Bueller. Bueller. Ali Sheedy goes off to Breakfast Club. Uh, there's one that bald guy. He goes off to Top Gun and makes Tom Cruise Tom Cruise's life hard. Michael Madsen becomes a bank robber. We know what happens. The consequences of this movie are far-reaching. Oh my god. <laughs> Well, anyway, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It is. I like it. I would recommend it. Too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really I would, would. absolutely recommend really it. It is a. It still solid... got some of that '80s cheese and some questionable, like ah, yeah. it's a dumb moment. But for the most part, it's still well filmed. It's well put together. It's well written. It's it's got some good tense yeah. scenes. It's a family friendly thriller, if that makes sense. Because most thrillers, political ones, anything like that, there's always some grime or darkness to them where. You have to be careful who watches it. There'll either be a really steamy scene or the language is really abrasive or a bunch yeah. of people are getting murdered. This has all of the aspects of a nuclear thriller, but it's friendly enough that I could have the kids watch it and not have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I do enjoy that aspect because really that's a genre that typically doesn't venture towards family viewing. No. No. No, I'm try- I'm trying to think of another movie that's even close, and I don't know, like Flight of the Navigator. Like now, what? <laughs> one really neat thing, video game wise, that absolutely pulled from this. Did you ever play the Nintendo adaptation of the Mission Impossible TV series? No. no. So no. I love that game. It's a top down. It's a really weird setup, but it really tried to focus more on what's like, it this, called? Uh, Mission, it's just Impossible. Mission Impossible. Yeah. That's it? For yeah. NES, but it's based off of the TV series at the time. Oh, for NES. Yeah, Sorry, NES. I'm thinking something more modern. No, Sorry. no, no, no. Old NES one. I own, I own it, actually. Yeah, I know which one you're talking it's about. It's a tough game, hmm. but the last level of it, you're trying to stop a nuclear strike. And you go through this ridiculous level, all of the challenges you face in the game up to this point, like they've just thrown the gauntlet at you. And when you get to the end, it is a computer screen with a map of the world. And the way that it works is... You have to, on each turn, you choose one of four starting points, and you choose where to launch a missile, and then the computer does, and you're basically reenacting war games. You have to prove that no matter which point you fire from first, it's always going to result in everyone getting struck. (laughs) And it's pulled from this. It is clear, even if that happened in the show, they pulled it from this. And it always stuck out to me as one of the most inventive last challenges in a video game. And guaranteed, yeah. this had a hand in changing the world for sure. So, if you don't have the the willpower to play through that game, look it up on YouTube. It was a really cool last level, specifically because of that. And when cool. you do it enough times, when you do, I think yeah, it's all three or all four variations, the computer starts <laughs> running it over and over itself while the timer is still going. So you have to do it with enough time left that the computer can teach itself. Like it's it's this, which hmm. is pretty cool. That's cool. That's actually, but yeah, just kind of a neat thing that specifically pulled from this movie. So I, I always enjoyed that connection to it. Uh, Is there anything we've missed that either of you would like to bring up that either was really notable or you really enjoyed about it? I feel like we've touched on most of the stuff I cared about. Yep. Same. Yeah, I think it's good. You know, and again, I've got full closure because I know what happens to all of these characters after. Oh, the real MCU <laughs> is the Mark Cinematic Universe, <laughs> and it is wild. The WGCU. <laughs> My favorite part is that 
none of the audience can just see Wayne shaking his head in just utter disapproval of all of my theories. <laughs> Every comment. Every single one. Just I'm disgust. down for it. I want you to send just me the, the fan fiction of your manifesto. This is great. I will read it. <laughs> <laughs> we will bring this to a close, but we will recommend this film. This is a solid movie. And again, yeah. it's not a direct video game adaptation, but all of the the plot elements really draw heavily on the idea of video games. It has inspired a later video game, and it's just a fun, fun ride. It is. But when we come back, Wayne, what are we watching next? Uh, we're definitely not watching a family-orientated film. We will be watching The Running Man. Ooh. Yes. Now that is Solid. some video game material right there. The Running Man Absolutely. starring Arnold schwarzenegger nice oh this is a personal favorite of mine i know i'm gonna have a good time i actually can't wait yes. to watch it again for the <laughs> thousandth time <laughs> oh yeah same this movie is so 80s that it almost hurts <laughs> but in the best possible way i am excited yeah. for our next one i thank yep. all of you for joining me and i urge you to join us next time Thank you all for listening to us on Press X Reload. I have been Nick Moore. With me were Wayne Brissett and Mark Athenis. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. And we'll uh, see you in the Ferris Bueller universe. I can't wait to see how Arnold ties into it. Yes! <laughs> oh, God. Mark will find a way. You've been listening to Press X to Reload. Today's episode featured the voices of Mark Athens, Wayne Brissett, and Nick Moore. Our theme music was composed by Jack Fierick and performed and realized by Sam Fierick. If you like what you've heard today, subscribe and never miss an episode. Or tell a friend, leave a review. We'll take all the bonus XP we can get. If you have suggestions or feedback, you can contact Nick Moore via his email, retrogamingfool at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the next stage.